Hurry into Old Navy tomorrow for 50% off all swimwear. $2 tanks for her and free flip-flops when you spend $50 or more in-store. Tomorrow only at Old Navy, valid 323. Limit five tanks. Select tanks and flip-flops only. Free gift in-stores only. Hey, I'm Alan McGuire. I'm Sarah Griffin. And this is Juvenalia, a podcast where we talk to an interesting person about a bit of pop culture that was important to them when they were young. Our guest today is the editor of Perfect Void, a new Irish sci-fi anthology from Tramp Press. It's Jack Fennell. How are you doing, Alan? Welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Thanks very much for having me. So you're going to talk about something very important to me, uh, which I'm very excited about, Star mm. Trek Next Generation. Yes. So let's just get started. Tell us about how you got into Star Trek. Well, I mean, I, I was a TV kid when... I was spotlight about six or seven. Like, I mean, I used to watch practically anything that was on. Uh, parents placed no restrictions on me. So like the old Mission Impossible TV series and the old Zorro TV series and everything. And then um, Next Gen just kind of fell into that. Yeah. And I was hooked from a very young age. Do you, um, so do you remember like the fr- like getting into it? Do you remember the first time, the first one you saw or anything like that? It, it is so long ago that I, I actually can't. Mm. It, it's just a, a kind of a generalised miasma in my yeah. childhood memory of aliens with funny heads. Mm. Isn't it amazing <laughs> that you look back sometimes and you're like, oh no, that's always been there. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. always been there. And there's so few times that you can go, oh, that was the first, the first interaction mm. I had with that form or yeah. that show or that game. But it's really gorgeous when it just melts into a, oh, I've yeah. always, I've always known that. I've always watched yeah. that. Yeah, I don't remember like starting watching. I know I watched it because it was on before The Simpsons on Sky One. Uh, that was on a flight in The Simpsons on Six. It was. Oh my yeah. god! I have like a sensory memory for like mm. Sky One being rattled away in the background and, and channels coming through at that time of the evening when everyone's sitting oh, around at the table. Yeah, yeah. So I used to. Um, my grandfather died when I was um, eight. My grandmother didn't like staying in the house on her own after that, so I used to go over after school and stay over like three or four nights a week. Oh my god, mm. I also did that, but I was did 11. You? That is so weird. Yeah, That's my really nan brought me up, so like I would just like sleep like on the floor next to her bed. Aww. I used to sleep like, in a spare room, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I was, yeah. no, I'm just a weirdo with like rosary beads on my pillow, man. Like, yeah. But uh, yeah, that's me. We're both grandparent kids. Yeah, grandparent kids. Yeah. All right. But Jesus, yeah, um, that would be a timing thing then. Yeah, but I had no. Um, she didn't put no limits on what I watched or yeah, anything yeah, like yeah. that so I didn't actually develop willpower as a, as a consequence oh, yes. um, <laughs> but she used to just like she used to listen to the radio and I used to watch TV so I would have the TV to myself so I just Sorry, have Sky literally same yeah, yeah. yeah so you just put on Sky 1 waiting for the Simpsons and after a while I realised I love Star Trek this is like <sighs> the best thing in the world whereas that became the main event instead of the Simpsons whoa just to, and then it was used to be on repeated at 10 o'clock because I had no limits I used to watch at 5 and at 10 so you would get anything that you missed yeah so you'd see every episode twice that's kind of luxurious isn't it it's It's almost like having a DVD of it but like 10 years before DVDs with the past yeah Um, Sky One always just felt so forbidden to me I don't think I was allowed to watch anything on Sky mm. One which is why I haven't really seen Buffy or The Simpsons or start like, oh, which yeah. is why I have hilarious blind spots because my parents were like, no, like huge, <laughs> no, no. My grandmother would let me watch endless VHSs of musicals that were extraordinarily inappropriate for a six-year-old. But uh, the second I got back to my folks' house, it was just like, no American television. So I have blind spots to the walls, mm. but Sky One just always felt like mm. this. 
That's yeah. where the good shit is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, we, we didn't have the channels at all. Oh. Okay. No, no, no. It was, it was just RT1 and 2 oh, in wow. our graph. So, you know. Was it on RT1 and 2? It was years after the fact. Like, so, I mean, okay. it's, it started. It, I mean, I was shocked to discover later on that Next Gen started way earlier than I thought it did. Like, it started mm. in 1987. Or something, yeah, and 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 like in my memory, it's like oh, it's an early '90s thing, but mm. it's not like it started when I was four, you know, which is you yeah, I, it must be nearly. Sorry, go on. an idiot. Which captain is the next gen captain? Picard. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, yeah, should we just run down the next yeah. gen cast? Yes, because oh, then yeah. I'll be able to know them kind of. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. Introduce them to us. Right. So Captain Picard is the the guy. Patrick in ch- Stewart. Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Yes, you like um, Yep, uh, classically tra- trained uh, Shakespearean actor playing a French uh, sp- starship captain. Mm-hmm. It, it was really um, kind of an odd choice for them when they were rebooting the Star Trek franchise, and you know Captain Kirk had been there first, and he was this you know two fisted kind of oh, quick witted intergalactic sex boy. He just oh used yeah, to go around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, was, he was an awful horn dog and whatever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, instead, they went with this guy who looked like he could be your dad. You know, and like with a completely bald head and a refined English accent. he's meant to be French? He is yeah, he has a French, French accent. No, he no. doesn't. No, no, he doesn't. So how am I supposed to know he's French? Because, because Jean-Luc Picard. Jean-Luc Picard. And every so often he swears in French too. That's nuanced. Yeah, so like, you <laughs> know, the Romulans have crossed the border, sir. Merde. That's hilarious. Yeah. But like, space shows are mad into cussing in different languages to get oh, around yeah. it, right? Like that yeah. Star Galactica and Red Dwarf and shit. Like, yeah, they're all uh, just like, let's just make up false swears. And, and remember Firefly? Oh, like, I know. I also never watched Firefly, so I feel well, like I would love it, though. F- Firefly is kind of like the anti-Star Trek, if you want to think of it. Like, there, there's no aliens in it, okay. and there's no federation of... So, well, there kind of is, but it's kind of fractious and whatever, but they swear at each other in Mandarin. Wow, that like, is... Like, really fluent Mandarin. That's specific. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, so uh, you can only tell Picard is French by his name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or the occasional cussing in French. And the occasional cussing okay. in French, yeah. yeah. Then after that, his second in command is uh, William Riker, uh, who's, I suppose... He's he, kind of the Kirk. He's kind of the Kirk, yeah. yeah. He, he's, I'm look at, can I look up their faces? As oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm wonder-killing this. Take me on a magical Star Trek <laughs> adventure as I look at all these people. Uh, yeah. Can you spell Riker for me? R-I-K-E-R. Thank you. And it's Jonathan Frakes. Oh man, that is a beard. Yeah. <laughs> My grandmother was in love with him. He has real twinkly yeah. eyes. Is mm-hmm. obviously wearing eyeliner, and mm. uh, ah yeah, do you know what? Especially in those early looking pictures, ah yeah, yeah, lovely the face on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, also known for the um, Riker maneuver. Uh, he never sat in a chair normally. He, he oh, always yeah. stood over the back of it. He threw one leg over the back of a chair and sat on it from behind. Yeah, for some I'm reason. Googling Riker. Min- oh my god, it comes <laughs> up. It comes up. So he was from Alaska, and he was kind yep. of a rugged country boy yep. who became an international space sex man. Yeah, like and I'm looking burning. at that leg, and I'm like, oh my god, that is an international space man leg. Yeah, like, yep. that is. <laughs> in like episode three, he comes back from a sex planet he just had Shorty from, and he's just smiling, smirking at everybody. He's like, yeah, yeah I was on a sex planet. <laughs> <laughs> me, imagine me, William Riker, on a sex planet. Here's my leg it's on this chair. As you imagine. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of pictures of him with a leg on a chair, guys. Yeah. <laughs> That's bananas. Okay, so those are the two boys. Who are the girls? Um, there's Deanna Troy, mm-hmm. who is the ship's counselor. Uh, she's played by Marina Sirtis. Women are good with feelings. And, uh, well, <laughs> well uh, even, um, like, she's especially good with it. Uh, she's a beta Z Ooh. Or a, be- a Betazoid from Half the planet. Half Betazoid. Half Betazoid. Yeah. And they're, uh, like, a race of What's human... What's her name again? 
Deanna Troy. Not Marina Troy, because that is from uh, the marionette TV show uh, Thunderbirds. Totally got a, re- <laughs> I got a really strange image search back and I was like, there are Muppets in it. <laughs> there, are, there, are well, there, there are actually in, in a couple of episodes, I think there are. are there? Yeah, some of the aliens are bound to be puppets of a kind, aren't they? I think they're, all, they're, most, they're mostly humans, aren't they? Either humans are, are like Ah, uh, look at her lovely curly hair. Yeah. Okay. But uh, she could sense other people's emotions and what have you. And so if somebody was lying, you know, she'd be able to... Oh, she's fab. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, yes, Sarah and Lisa were talking about getting her in for the oh, the Brilliant Void book launch. Oh, that would be Because she's cool. actually in town at the moment, no but she, she isn't going to be around on the night. But I was like, no, it's it's a good thing that you can't get her in. Because, <laughs> because, 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 <laughs> yeah, I'd just be an incomprehensible blubbering mess. Oh, you know? That's so cool. And can I ask a question? Mm-hmm. I have noticed that the two gentlemen wear red jumpers where she's wearing a blue-green jumper. Is there yes. a reason that everyone's jumpers are different colours? There is. It, it depends on your specialty on the ah. ship. So the command colours are red. They're like the people who actually are enlisted officers mm-hmm. and what have you. Um, Which blue- was like a a switch from the original one because in the original yeah. red was security so they were people who died all the time Yeah, were the red oh. shirts so they flipped it for next generation so red people, the red shirts were the ones in charge Yeah. Huh. so then there's yellow yellow is for engineering yeah, and so security and, and security yeah. yeah yeah. and I think blue is medical yeah Yeah. So and te- sci- blue, science and medical yes science and medical so yeah. techni- technically she's part of the medical staff I know is any of this ever explained at any point or is it all inferred very gently it's kind of it's yeah you're, you're kind of me- inferred yeah. you're, me- you're, me- you're meant to kind of pick it up because like you know th- there'll be scenes set in the engine room where you just see everybody is walking around in a yellow shirt then it goes back up to the the deck and you see okay, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. and you kind of know what everybody's roles are and what they're how wearing how many so. of them are there because it went on for so long was there a massive rotating oh. cast or was it more no, like it was, a staple it was pretty fixed there was one yeah, like it was, sitcom cast it's a, it's a, yeah it's an ensemble cast yeah. quite quite large actually probably for, nine or ten core yeah. characters I would say that's kind of beautiful that you get to watch everybody come of age then mm. you know yeah. like that there's a growth Oh yeah, I mean, and you see photographs of the cast when they were just starting off, and they're like, "Oh my God, you're babies! Yeah. Look at you!" Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. So anyway, the, the, there's Deanna Troy. Then there's uh, Doctor Beverly Crusher. I uh, love her name. <laughs> oh yeah, and uh, she's just like a kick-ass doctor, you know. And uh, yeah, so anytime anybody gets infected with a strange disease or gets blown up or shot oh, or stuff. Oh, I know her face. Yeah, Gates yeah. McFadden. Okay, this is all this is all fuzz, fuzzing in. Yeah, to yeah. like Star Trek by osmosis. Yep. And uh, there was a th- there was kind of a thing between her and Picard. Oh, really? At one point, wasn't yeah, there? he had worked with her husband who was now dead, but there was always yeah. a, a thing with yeah. them. Yeah, and then Picard slash Crusher fan fit. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> for sure there. Oh yes, and she was all. She also had her son. On board oh. the ship, Wesley, who was a, a snotty teenager. He was a boy genius. I've just found a, a gif of her petting Picard's face. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, I, love, I love learning. Yeah. Um, oh, that's a child. Yes. <laughs> that's a child on the spaceship. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Which was another new departure. Because this was the first time that um, families had been depicted on board starships. Oh, wow. Yeah. The star- like Beforehand, it was just officers. Because yeah, the Federation have this That's kind of it. ethical code, right? Where they kind of yep. go out to explore the unknown and they don't batter anyone. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's well, they, they they actually do. Well, batter, they have batter to. people. They, yeah. But, it, um, they don't fire first. Is they don't fire thing. first yeah. is their thing. Yeah. And their main moral structure is uh, the prime directive, 
which means if they're out in space and they come across a civilization that hasn't discovered faster than light travel, they leave it alone. That's lovely. Yeah. That's that's it. Because I knew that there was like an ethical core going on at Star Trek, mm, yeah. but I was like, I'm not really sure what that is. I just hope it's non-violent. They're actually quite didactic about how morally advanced they are in the first mm. early episodes. It's, it's a little bit because ev- yeah. there's no meat eating in Federation. There's no money. No money. Uh, Do you think there's no meat eating because they came from the earth after global warming when none of us were allowed to eat meat anymore? Or is it like an ethical vegan Star Trek Possibly, because there was a huge like apocalypse yeah. type event. Oh God. Yeah, we very nearly went oh. extinct. Yeah, quite soon actually now in yeah. time, <laughs> wow. our timeline. Yeah. Um, so it is like a post-scarcity society. Wow. Post-scarcity. Uh, Hi. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Yes. That's good. I used to read a lot about Star Trek. <laughs> 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 that's so good yeah so th- like they have like replicators on board where you just go give me a cup of tea and it'll just magic up a cup of tea for you which has led to the best Twitter account which is um, Chief O'Brien's replicator <laughs> Chief O'Brien's played by Colin Meany he's a transporter oh, chief oh this is the one with Colin Meany yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. so he's, yep. he's okay. actually in two but this is where he was introduced first he wasn't the main yep. character in this one right but it's just like did he the same character twice yes yes Ooh. yeah and Worf who's the chief security on, on Next Generation went over to Deep Space Nine as well he is a Klingon see there you go. <laughs> how do I know this? This is like how, how do I know the lyric to every Frank Sinatra song? I just do. Mm, like, yeah. just one of these things this where it's like, it. maybe I actually do know things about Star Trek that I didn't. Yeah. Oh yeah, probably. Think I knew. That's weird. Probably. Uh, so what does Colin Meany's Replicator look like? Um, it's just like a uh, bottle of Colette Cola, Fiskos, <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing. Breakfast roll. Uh, Same. Yeah. Maybe yeah. Guinness. Yeah. And there's uh, Roddy Doyle's Star Trek as well, oh, which wow. features him as the main character. Yeah. So he's inside in the transporter room and in come Picard and Riker and he's just thinking, oh, here's this fucking pair. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. And like, is it, so we've got, how many people is that then? That's like five or six people? Yeah. Is there more? Or is it just them Yeah, there all? are. There are. There's, there's probably two more main ones. Yeah, there's uh, Data. Yeah. Who is, an, <gasps> who is like silver. Yes. Yeah. That's him. He was he's, my favorite, I think. Yeah, because, you know, he was kind of learning how to be a human being and he was learning how to deal with emotions and stuff and like when I was growing up I was learning how to you know I'll be a human being and kind of dealing with dealing with my big feelings and all that kind of stuff are more or less the same time so um yeah I mean and he was just so um I mean he was emotionless but he still kind of had a such a strong moral core but is that kind of not like your Spock then it kind of was, yeah. That's it's yeah. that same archetype used again yeah. in a different background. Yeah, kind of. Ex- except that with Spock, it wasn't a case that he didn't have any. It was just that he was repressing them he's all just the a time. Vulcan. He's just a mm-hmm. Vulcan. He's just. He's just. Vulcan. I was, I was trying to be like, he's just in love with Captain Kirk. That's what. He's, <laughs> that's what's wrong. That's what's wrong. That's uh-huh. what's wrong with Spock. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, but Jesus. like you know, like with, with Spock, you're kind of waiting the whole time for him to lose it. Because, you know, when Spock loses it, he loses it. Yeah, yeah, But uh, Data just doesn't have that capacity. Yeah, he probably did, yeah. whoever played him probably didn't have that quite same Leonard Nimoy intensity, right? That, like, yeah. mad well, face. Well, because actually there's a villain in Next Gen called Lore, who's mm-hmm. Data's twin brother. Like, like they, were, they were made in the same Data workshop. Data and Lore, excellent naming mm-hmm. convention. Yes. Very good. Yeah. Love it. And, and, that. Yeah. and Lore, Lore is... <laughs> of course old. I fucking like it. This is my bullshit. <laughs> and of course, Lore is older than Data. Oh. Uh, lore came first, then oh, Data came Oh, I love that bullshit. That is so good. <laughs> oh, fuck. But, um, God, I love language. <laughs> <laughs> but he also... Like, um, but Lore does have emotions. He does. Yeah. And he's a psychopath. Oh. And... Uh, 
like, uh, like Brent Spiner, he like he gets to do some great lines. I mean, I was watching it recently, the episodes with Lore in them, and like there's a scene where he catches Wesley by the throat mm. and kind of lifts him off the ground. Did, and well, Wesley does, from what I can see, have that kind of face. Oh yeah, so. he does. But <laughs> this was kind of like where Wesley was being a boy detective, and he was kind of going around the place trying to convince people that you know this wasn't actually Commander Data; it was mm. Lore wearing Data's Data's face. uniform, and. But Lore catches him and says to him, are you prepared to meet the death you've earned for yourself, little oh! man? <laughs> and you're kind of watching it coming out of Data's face. Oh, and you're holy going, screenwriting, Batman. Like, yeah. That's, that's, ouch. <laughs> are you prepared to meet the death you've made for yourself? <laughs> little man. Fuck's sake. Yeah, is it the same actor playing the both with like yes. a Lindsay Lohan screen? Yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, um, he was, he's so good in that role that I didn't think of him as an actual human being. Ever mm-hmm. until I saw him, he was in Independence Day as like a mad-haired scientist, and I was like, yeah. "Oh, that's so weird." And I started seeing him on chat shows, and I it there was total separation for me between like that was actually an and because the effects were so good as well. You used to take off bits of his skull cool. to show like positronic stuff underneath, uh, and it was like perfect. Like in nineteen eighty seven, it was like as good as you would see now. So here's so. my big my big Star Trek question for you both: mm-hmm. Is it because you wanted to go and live in the ship? Because whenever I watched Space Things when I was growing up, I was like, I want to live in the ship. Oh, God, yeah. Like, it's mm. because you wanted yeah. to be, in, like, is it that that thing that, I think there's two different kinds of engagement with this sort of culture, right? There's the scholarly kind of, I need to know everything about this engagement, you know, like people who read a bunch of Tolkien and are just like telling people to go fuck themselves in, in Elvish. Mm. Mm. Like, yeah. and then there's ones, there's a different kind of compassionate engagement where you're like, no, I want to go there. Yeah. And... That's what I'm kind of more interested in is the like, Same. where would you place yourself in that ship? Here's an interesting thing, right? Um, there's two very nerdy CD-ROMs I had mm. when I was about 12. One was the Star Trek Technical Manual, one was the Star Trek Omnipedia. The Technical Manual, you could just walk around the ship and click awesome. on stuff and it would bring up information about it and you could walk oh. around. The Omnipedia was like basically Wikipedia, but for Star Trek on a CD-ROM. I much prefer them where you walk around the ship. Yeah. It was the being on the ship was the interesting part yeah. to me because it was just, I don't, particularly care about what happened with those races 200 years ago I just care about what they're doing to right the characters now, now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How, where's how the that... cup of tea give me my replicator yeah, 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 yeah give yeah. me a holodeck oh. more importantly yeah so, how about you Zach? yeah same I mean I really like I mean that is one of the few fictional worlds that I consumed as a kid that I would actually like to inhabit yeah. Mm. Yeah. you know because I mean you've got all the mod like you know you've got your replicator you've got your holodeck you've got you're about trans- to call the mod cons weren't you because they fucking are mod cons I stopped myself because you know like they're, they're post mod cons they're, they're future cons <laughs> But, so you've got all your future cons. Yeah. yeah, future cons. And then on top of that, you get to fly around deep space and every so often you meet really, really interesting people that nobody's met before. Mm. Like, and like completely different creatures from a completely different world. And is everybody know? friends on the ship or is yes, there like rivalry? I was say, it's not gritty. Everybody's oh, a good person. Lovely. Oh, you know? I love whatever it's a good oh, person. Oh, one other person we didn't mention was Jordy LaForge, who's the chief oh, engineer. Oh, yes. And he's blind and has the visor. You probably <gasps> recognize him. I do. Yeah. yeah. So he's South yeah. African in, 19, in a show created in 1987. Holy shit. Black South African chief engineer of a ship. No. Good, important stuff. Um, but like Star Trek had that, didn't it? That it was like the first oh, interracial kiss on first television. Oh, yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's always been weirdly ahead of its time. Yeah. Like that's like kind of vegetarianism. Beautiful. Yeah, like, <laughs> vegans. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like, yeah, yeah. They were telling us all along. They were telling yeah, there was a lot of social issue episodes. Oh, yeah. Like for instance, the one we were talking about, the Outcast. Oh yes, indeed. Tell us a bit about the serial with this. The Outcast is where um, the Enterprise comes along to a planet. I, I can't even remember what the setup is, why they're in that vicinity or anything. But they they come across it. Um, 
or they're, they're doing stuff with uh, a genderless alien race. Oh. Right. They, oh, they're mapping a, a weird void in space. In what year? That's it. It's that's it. They're, they're, yeah. they're mapping. What, so what year is this made in? 91, 92? Yes. Wow, okay. So, yeah, All yeah. right, that's amazing. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, um, like, these aliens are genderless and actually, like, like individuals who feel that they are male or female are subjected to therapy to Whoa. make them forget it. And, you know, that like they they want really nothing to do with the Federation because the Federation are male and female and that's kind that's of gross. That's yeah, gross. Yeah, yeah. It's icky. And um, Riker falls in love with an individual from this thing who identifies as female. Is this real? Yes. Mm. In 1991? Yep. yep. And, Jesus, okay. This is brilliant. And it started off, like, I mean, at the time it was obviously uh, like a uh, kind of a metaphor for um, gay conversion therapy. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's really where they were leaning. But nowadays, yeah, it, it wasn't on the radar then. It, yeah, really, but yeah. yeah, but it, it's really kind of come back as a, a relevant touchstone Texas. now. Yeah, yeah. because uh, I actually like as part of my academic work uh, a year or two ago, I did a survey of transgender Star Trek fans. Wow! And it was kind of just asking them, you know, like like to fill out a, a f- like an online. Uh, questionnaire kind of thing which of these did you like the best uh, was there anything that you particularly identified like you know a couple dozen questions like that and you know I was expecting them to come back um, kind of referencing the Trills who are an alien race that like there's a symbiote that transfers from one humanoid host to another so an individual can be male in one incarnation and female in the next oh, and it yeah. really doesn't matter but um, they all came back talking about the outcast wow. and saying, like, no, actually, like, I mean, this is actually the episode that speaks to me the most. Yeah. And uh, Riker basically jeopardizes his career to try and save this individual mm. from their home society, but he fails. And uh, no, she gets subjected to the no! therapy oh, and then and it works on her. Yeah. No, well, well, so he actually, he actually well, gets her and she says, I'm going to stay. Uh, yeah. yeah, but I, I would, I don't know whether I would say that it actually works because there's no evidence in the episode to say that this stuff actually does what they say it does. Well, yeah. it seems to be that they just basically torture people into accepting the status quo. Mm. That's yeah. so sad. Oh, but like it's, incredibly it's, before its time. Oh yeah, like, yeah. I mean, yeah. Geez, this is all Star Trek thing, right? You know, but like, it, yeah. that's amazing. It's one of the few yeah, downbeat right. endings, actually. Yeah, in Next Generation, very few. They usually win. Yeah, they usually do. Yeah, but this yeah. one. It's just what Captain Picard. What's the called again? The, the Outcast. Outcast. It's actually not particularly highly rated um, on IMDb, but in communities where it's relevant to them, it's yeah, obviously exactly. it's, it's a yeah. milestone episode. Yeah. yeah. Huh. That's it. That's outstanding. I wonder what kind of a writing team they had behind Star Trek. Like, was it a regular writer's table? Like, did writers come and go? Like, obviously they're pulling from a Bible, you know, because mm-hmm. it's a series. Yeah. But like, I wonder what the who the team was well they did have a writer's room and from what I understand they had kind of a high turnover of writers there there was like a lot of writers that came through the door and left just as quickly but there were a core few that stuck around for the whole thing I mean um, uh, what's his name Brendan Braga Brennan Brennan Braga Brennan Braga yeah, yeah. Rick Berman would have been there for yeah, Rick Berman, thing. yeah and yeah. they they kind of went on to produce things like Voyager and Deep Space Nine and whatever they started off in the writers room Randy Moore was a Star Trek writer yes, yes for a long time was, as well yeah. right. Star Galactica yeah yep. so uh, that would make 
a tremendous amount of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. And uh, they were drawing from a Bible that was established by Gene Roddenberry <gasps> at the very start. Wow. And uh, he kind of said, look, this, these are the rules and what have you. And there was a huge amount of friction in the early years because they were all saying, like, Gene, you, you have a starship full of people who are really nice to each other. We can't have conflict yeah. in this. I mean, how are we... And he, just, and he would just say, I don't care. Make <laughs> think it of, happen. Think of something. And, um, and then he passed away and the the helming of the show fell to other people and they just said okay do you know what we're going to relax this a small bit mm. and like so it stayed true That's kind of when it got better though yeah the first seasons yeah. are a little bit of a slog now yeah true why because it's just too chill it's always very here's the planet of the human emotion people yeah, you yeah. know it's, it's always I like the sound of that though <laughs> it's really nice but they go they, once they start getting into the holodeck more and like they do like western episodes and like a Robin Hood episode yeah and like cool. Sherlock Holmes episodes and stuff oh, it's weird. great yeah, yeah it's really cool but um, the, the Sherlock Holmes holodeck episodes are brilliant because Moriarty uh, becomes self-aware Ah. He's like this is like a VR suite. That's oh, I fully. I'm, the novel yeah. I'm working on right now is a holodeck. Like, okay. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, oh, it's, it's a bad, yeah. it's a bad time for everyone. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's a. I'm, I I love um, the sort of trope of the holodeck. This mm. like space mm. within your vessel that gives you uh, endless possibilities and the spaceship I'm writing about is like a mining ship like Red Dwarf effectively it's Red Dwarf fan fiction that's what we're calling it (laughs) for now Um, and uh, you don't really realise the raw freedom that that permits a writer is just go and this room can be fucking anything you Mm -hmm. want and Mm -hmm. nobody can get hurt here Mm. off you go like that is such a cheeky narrative like uh, loophole Mm -hmm. and the holodeck off you go. There you go. But the idea of something becoming self-aware out of it, that's yeah. actually interesting trouble. Yeah. Because, uh, like, I mean, Data is actually a huge fan of Sherlock Holmes. Like, and he's read all the things. Aww. And uh, himself and Geordie LaForge go into the holodeck to play through a Sherlock Holmes adventure together. An escape room. An escape room, exactly. <laughs> oh but, 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 like, Data knows the ending and he knows all the clues inside oh. out. So he, he, he kind of, it's no fun for anyone else. So they kind of they say okay computer generate a new Sherlock Holmes story and this time like make the villain smart enough to pose a danger or to outthink data oh no and that, that's stupid yeah, yeah he meant to say her Holmes but he said data yeah. instead yeah and then so, yeah yeah so now oh that's very good writing mm-hmm. oh yeah. that's kind of stressful yeah, yeah. and then you, you get you get Moriarty and he's all of a sudden he's self-aware and he can't leave the holodeck but he wants to and it's all about him and then there's a couple of episodes with him in it where he's just got out of the holodeck he was well, just like walking around well like I mean he's he's trying to figure out how to do that yeah because the holodeck is like just light yeah so once anything, nothing can leave the holodeck yeah you can't get out him he thinks he, he does and then that's the whole thing, which is, that's his, his best episode, I think, the best Moriarty yeah, episode, is, yeah. called Ship in a Bottle. Yeah, because he just it's walks, good. he just walks up to the doorway and steps through. I can't believe you're talking me into starting to watch start a, a television show. It's all on Netflix. Years. It's yeah. on Netflix. It's all it Netflix. Is, yeah. all, the whole all the seasons Christ. are on Netflix. I all, the, yeah. this. all the Star Treks are there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, no, this is bad news. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Because when you when you only pick it up through osmosis, when it's just in the backdrop, like, I didn't know that they went to different planets to have their feelings with people. 
Oh yeah. I mean? oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it just looked like a bunch of people whose names I didn't really know standing around having conversations I could barely hear. It was <laughs> so much of television. You know, when you're just sc- when you're just scanning. Yeah. And I find yeah. it I don't know about you guys, but I find it very hard to drop into a show from the middle. Oh yeah. I yeah. love starting from Now the I do. Like back then when I started watching it, it was just it was it didn't really have the concept of seasons or continuity. Because mm. they there's no real continuity in, in Next Generation. Oh, it's all bottleneck. Pretty much. They have two partners and there's a couple of things that reverberate. There's certain yeah, the and Borg and what they the impact they have in Picard comes back again and again. And the Cardassian War. Yeah. As and well. like Troy and Riker have a had a thing before the season started and they're kind of they're not on again off again. They have this kind of weird post couple familiarity. Oh weird. That occasionally might be something more but then never actually is. So Troy was the The counselor. Yeah. With the curly yeah. hair. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, now I know everyone is. Um that's fascinating. That's an interesting dynamic to explore instead of a will they, won't they? It's a, oh, they did. Yeah. Okay, let's keep going. The only other show I've seen that really did that well was News Radio, where it's oh, like yeah. they, they, they resolve this the sexual tension in episode two and then it's like, ah, okay, let's never talk to each other again. <laughs> and the rest of the show is just them not looking at each other, which is almost as entertaining mm. as a as a kind of a yeah. will they, won't they? So like in terms of the cast, like is there ever any major conflict on board really? Or is it all just everybody's best friends on the deck? Like, did you mean that? Well, like, I mean, they're not exactly best friends. They do get annoyed with each other and what have you, but like there's no serious animosity. Okay. That's good. Like it's, it's, it feels like it sounds from the outset like a bit of a soap opera, but but like tonally opposite. It's more of an adventure serial. Okay. Where it's like, there's, it's not Battlestar Galactica. They, Mm. The it's not about interpersonal conflict. It's not where the, the drama comes from. Okay. I reckon it's from what happens to them as a group. because yeah. they're a te- they're they're a team that they're the command structure of the best the, the flagship ship. So mm. they're the best of the best, you know. Yeah, yeah. So they wouldn't be in these positions if they weren't already real cop down. Yeah. Yeah yeah, 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 That's good. Um, Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the. Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is weird that, like, because they obviously they get beamed down to planets and stuff. They always send down the most important people on the ship yeah. to like look at a rock <laughs> instead of sending down some scientists. Like yeah. no, we'll, mm. the head of security and the head engineer and the first captain, first officer, we'll all go down and look at this rock. And so and the, their first security officer dies. She dies in episode like twenty two. Yeah, Tasha Yar. Because she hated Gene Roddenberry. Apparently, he's not a very nice man. Really? Oh yeah, apparently he was, he was a very unpleasant person, yeah. and he was horrible to her. And so she quit. And there was a lot of. Um, there's a lot of mythologizing of Gene Roddenberry, like leading up to the creation of Next Gen. Like they were saying, "Oh, poor Gene Roddenberry, he was out in the wilderness for years and nobody." And you kind of think to yourself, "Well, hang on a second. Like they made something like six films in between. You know, mm. like he he wasn't sent away to a desert island or something, and what have you? Yeah, he, like he the, wasn't living in a garret. The original series ended in '69. By the time by the time '87, five of the six original films were out. So that's five films in. 18 years that's pretty busy to be keeping going yeah. then that's the sixth film about in 91 so there was actually a crossover there but I mean it seems I suppose if you're living at the time it seems like a long time but now you look back and go like same way I look back at like I was born in 1984 and when I was growing up like punk and the Beatles stuff seemed like ancient history and you're like oh like never mind the bus 
like never mind the bollocks came out like seven years before I was born that's wow. nothing yeah. you know yeah. the Beatles broke up 14 years before I was born that's nothing in the big picture 14 years yeah. is like yesterday like, to me now yeah yeah. yeah. that's so. so weird and also like 18 years like without he was producing new work but also mm-hmm. 18 years riding the wave of your tremendously successful television yeah. show mm. are you well <laughs> like yeah calm down goals like yeah. nobody's asking you to do anything relax yourself like mm. that's yeah. amazing like no no feeling sorry for nobody sorry <laughs> sorry about you one, one thing that I do appreciate about his um vision if you want to call it that that's a vision for sure yeah. yeah but but regarding his kind of rules like at the beginning um like there was klingons in the original series and they were kind of um they were they were stand-ins for the soviets basically right. they were like weird foreigners with strange mustaches and what have you and then next gen came around and like their the makeup had evolved kind mm. of thing so this is where you get the huge the wrinkly forehead yeah, yeah mm. the huge wrinkly foreheads and the cranial ridges and what have you and this time obviously it's reflecting the um, the trade war between the US and Japan over the semiconductor thing you know, which is why the Japanese were the villains of every conspiracy thriller that came out during the 1980s and this is where the, the Klingons become all about their code of honor and they're kind of Mm. half samurai and they get the weird swords and everything. But um, somebody asked him, like, how come the Klingons in the new series look so different from the old ones? And he just said, well, those were northern Klingons and these are southern ones. (laughs) And that was it. That was where they should have left it. Yeah. But instead, there's there's a whole string of episodes where they they go back in time and there's like a disease that causes the Klingons to mutate and all this nonsense. Justification for a bit of makeup like. Yeah, yeah. and it's like Which, you, you could have just left it alone. There, like there, there's like different they just say like there's different populations no, among people the, like the, facts and clarification. <laughs> but then like the, the new Star Trek Star Trek Discovery the Klingons are even more gnarled up in their faces yeah. and that's set a hundred years no Ninety years before Next Generation. Yeah, yeah. Is this a movie? No, discovered it's a new series on Netflix as well. Is it good? Yes, yes. I've only watched episode one, but it was very good. Yeah, it's it's a rocky start, but it quickly finds its feet, and cool. it's it's very very I like the films. They, uh, I yep. didn't see the second one because um, flashing uh, images and too much CGI make me feel a bit sick. Hmm. Things hmm. I have learned. I don't like um, too much stuff happening in front of my eyes. Hmm. Well, you know, no. I learn something new every day. But I did see the Star Trek with. The pixie Disney face boy as Captain Kirk. Chris Pine. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Zachary... Quinto. Thank you. Mm. As Spock. And I really liked that. I also liked that they were like, oh, it's an alternate universe, fuck you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's how, that's yeah. your answer. Yeah. Mm. Deal with it. You don't get to know all the facts. Yeah. I love when creators push back against that entitlement mm. and that hunger for detail where mm. it's like, actually maybe you don't get all the answers because mystery mm. is important. This is set yeah. in a different universe. Mm. Deal with it. Mm-hmm. Deal with it. So that was a really mm. pleasurable experience for me because I get to, I have, again, I have this as, this understanding vaguely mm. of Star Trek, but I was like, oh, I don't have to have studied to watch this. I can yeah. just watch this fucking movie and go on a space romp with the nice boys <laughs> and then not feel like an idiot for not knowing what everything is. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, the, the, the only good gatekeeper was in the, uh, what's it, the atmosphere board game. 
Oh. That, that's the only good gatekeeper that has ever been. I I don't like gatekeeping at it's all. It's hard, yeah. but yeah. It, but like you were saying about the the, the the that develops then into unnecessary plot and like fluff, yeah. where yeah. it's like we just have to explain why we decided to put makeup on these Klingons. Fuck, better yeah. like yeah, just justify it instead of it. It's from. But I mean, they they could have justified it in like a single line of yeah. That this is a different population. And what are what are <laughs> Trekkies like as a fan base? Uh, they're the same as any other group of people. Like that, like they're you get some nice, some nice, some nasty, mm. some entitled, and some chill. Yeah. You know. Has there ever been a pushback like there was with Star Wars? Has there ever been any like uh, pure like anger? Like especially again, like I was thinking about the oh, new movies. I like, think the part, there was a good bit of yeah, the first was. new movie. Yeah. yeah, but then the movie was so good. Yeah, they couldn't so really nice. yeah. And, and there there was a bit for Discovery as well, mostly centered around the Klingons. Mm. Again, and like the Klingons look stupid and blah blah blah. And I was like, well, get over it. Yeah. <laughs> You're fine. So, what are some other of your favorite episodes? Some of my other, fa- I, I mean, this is one that I I rewatched recently, and it's the one where Captain Picard is kid. He's uh, kidnapped by the Cardassian. Command. Can you spell and Cardassian for me because I keep missing. C A C A R D A S S I A N. Okay. And uh, the Cardassians kind of came right. into it fairly abruptly, uh, midway through season yeah. seven, I think. As that, like these. Okay, these are going to be the new geopolitical villains, for mm. lack of a better word. And um, they were a society that had undergone a, a near apocalypse themselves, and. A, a kind of a fascistic military junta kind of took control of the yeah. entire planet and that's how they survived. So that is what their society is now. But um, David Warner plays a guy called Gull Madred. Like, Gull is his rank, so like his name is just Madred. And he has Picard... Uh, held captive and he's torturing him. He's trying to, he's deliberately just trying to break Picard's spirit. And does it ever get physically violent or is it all like psychic? Oh, it, it, it does get mm. physically violent uh, quite a bit, actually. But mm. uh, there's a whole thing where he, he has four lights up on a wall behind him and he is trying to make Picard say that there are five. Oh, weird. Uh. And he's just. And Picard is like, there are four lights. And he's like, oh, I'm I'm dismayed to see how wrong you are. Like, I don't understand how you can be so mistaken. Zap! Yeah, oh, they're trying to make him say it's five. That's really gross. Mm -hmm. And then then at the very end of it, like, like, I mean, this is something, it's become like a catchphrase, I think, for Mm. like the McElroy brothers as well. (laughs) There are four lights! But um, at the very end, uh, the Cardassians cop onto themselves and they release him. And he's sent back to the Federation and he's talking to, I think Beverly Crusher, actually, he's talking to her and he's saying, at the very end, I saw five. <gasps> oh, I get sick. Yeah. Oh, that's scary. Yeah. Oh, that's good, though. Mm. That's good. That's good upsetting storytelling. Yeah, no, they yep. do like good high drama when they want to. Mm. Like the, be- the best of words, another one where a lot, oh, of, yeah. a lot of shit happens to Picard. Yeah. And he like... So a lot of like the physical trauma in it happens to Picard like he gets adopted by the Borg who are a, a collective entity who um, basically absorb other races and entire planets and they have these the, their ship is a, is a cube okay yeah. didn't ones. know what they yeah. did that's so bad their, news their whole mission statement is you know you will be assimilated your culture will adapt to service ours your technological and biological distinctiveness will be added to our own resistance is futile oh god mm. 
They're horrible. They're like space zombies, Yikes. essentially. I was visiting yeah. classic Americans. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's but that that I guess I really what the vibe I'm getting is that a lot of the what the ethos of it is it about is about cultural preservation, and then the obviously the ultimate enemy of that is homogeny. Yeah, um, cultural mm. homogeny, and if that's yeah. what the Borg do, then of course that will be completely antithetical to like everything that the oh yes, yes mm. indeed the nice space boys want. And and it's and it's interesting because that comes back in Discovery then because the the the, the Klingons' whole beef with the Federation is that you join the Federation and then your cultural distinctiveness is wiped out by like galactic scale globalization effectively oh. so like the klingons are cultural nationalists oh, in the wow. in the new series but uh to get back to what alan was talking about there's an episode where picard is assimilated by the borg mm. and to be used as a drone because uh they figure that you know this is the best way to actually combat the federation is to use one of their most decorated officers mm. and there's a whole series, like, uh, there's a two-parter where they, they try to get him back and undo what they did to him. And, they, like, eventually they succeed, but it leaves him, like, severely traumatized. Mm-hmm. Because, like, they were putting nanites and bits of machinery into him and all kinds of stuff. And there's a whole episode where he takes some time off after after goes that, on a yeah. he goes yeah. on a sabbatical he, and he goes back to France. Of course he does. Yeah, where, and, and I he, think it's so funny that Johnny yeah. Picard is French and just it's just not. But, it's so unobvious. And like, yeah, and he meets up with his brothers. He goes to stay with his brother's family, and his brother has a completely different English accent. Future, <laughs> well, everyone in Future France has a different yeah. accent. Yeah, Christ, yeah. it's so odd. I guess I just don't think. Maybe I only identify Star Trek as the, the deck. So maybe I was mm. watching more of it, but I just didn't realize they were in different places. I, I think you you tend to do that when anything you haven't really watched. Obviously, you mm. think of it as like this one location. Like I can't, I can't for life me figure out how there's like seven seasons of Cheers yeah. where they're all oh. set in that bar. Yeah. And I, I know, yeah. I'm sure it's, it's probably the best sitcom ever. I'm sure. I watched but... the first, like I watched until Sam and Diane. I was like really committed to watching mm. it seriously. Mm. We went through a phase a few years ago of trying to watch 90s and 80s sitcoms with loads of integrity and treat them like they were real TV shows from now. Mm-hmm. I lasted four episodes of Friends. Um, <laughs> and couldn't do it because uh, I, I, re- I hadn't really seen Friends. So I was like, I'm going to watch Friends. No, I'm not. Ever. No. Yeah. Ever. And then I watched, I got way further with Cheers. I got all the way up to the point where Sam and Dan were getting together. And which is really exciting because they're because it's um what's his name sexy Simon Beckett what's his name Ted Danson thank you it's Ted yeah. Danson and it's all very exciting until he like breaks into her apartment and shouts at her and she tries to call the cops and like she he locks her in the apartment until like they they get it on and it's like that's actually the least romantic I am very worried for Diane at this point this is I do not want to know so it's seven series after like that shit goes down Mm. but it mostly does take place in the bar it's a total like it's all very dialogue reliant Mm. do you know what I mean um but I think like like Frasier took place in two sunsets or three you Mm. know what I mean like a lot of those kind of shows were in just one space but obviously something like Star Trek has to be in different worlds because it's about going to different worlds and because of the flagship they often have like Diplomats coming, and the diplomats have so secrets cool. or Ooh, weird things on secrets. their faces. You know, I can't yep. even want to. I want to. This is like what happened last time with fucking Stephen King, where it was just like, yeah, they're gonna be broken. Uh, D- Deep Space Nine is incredible for that kind of diplomatic intrigue and what have you, because it's essentially it's a border outpost. It's like Casablanca 
in space. Whoa, space Casablanca. Space so Casablanca, like, basically. And there, there's right, like we're sold on this every few minutes. Yeah. Like and, space Casablanca. And there's like a bazaar on board the space station, and one of the people who has a shop in this bazaar is a Cardassian tailor, <gasps> who is obviously a spy oh, no. but nobody can actually call him on it always the tailors yeah. <laughs> always the tailors yeah. like that's gas okay uh, so it's a Cardassian tail I'm gonna look up what this person looks like the Cardassians are a really good makeup as well what right. I enjoy about uh, sci-fi from this time is that it's like there are effects obviously mm. but there's a lot more prosthetics yeah mm. and a lot more um, human craft instead oh, of yes. computer craft yeah and it's just more pleasing to the eye and you can see yeah, the difference then sure. between um, Next Gen and uh, Enterprise. Enterprise uses a lot more CGI and it, it just looks wrong. I never watched Enterprise. So who's yeah. the captain of the Enterprise, Jamie? No, Sam Beckett. Sam Beckett. Okay. And it has a weird team song. It has a team song with words. Yeah. Which what? is wrong. It's, it's like some weird country and western ballad yeah. kind of thing. It's yeah. really bad. It's bad. And he has a, he has a pet corgi. Oh, does he or, or a beagle. He has a beagle in, in his ready room. And it was like, Sorry. dude, come on. Actually, like, there's one hilariously bad episode that I really like is the one where um, there's a disease on board ne- the next gen enterprise where it causes people to revert oh, to yeah, earlier yeah. evolutionary things. Yeah. And it, it is it is so bad that it's, it's, it's actually fun to watch. Because mm-hmm. like Reg Barkley, one of the... Uh, like lore peons in the crew he turns into a spider for some reason yeah. and Riker turns into a Neanderthal uh-huh. and you know he, Data obviously because he's not biological he's not affected by it so Picard is talking to small zoo yeah and Picard is talking <laughs> to him and he's like how long do I have and what will happen and Data is saying well at this rate I'd say you have about two and a half hours and you'll probably turn into a small marmoset <laughs> and Data has a pet cat called Spot and there's a point in the sorry uh, my brain's on the floor I keep talking yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the android has a pet cat called Spot <laughs> and in this episode we discovered that Spot is pregnant oh. and he kind of goes well how did Spot get pregnant and Actually, he says no question. you're in space <laughs> you're in space how did Spot get pregnant and it's like there are 17 unneutered male cats running around the Enterprise I mean, whoever wrote that has... I was going to say, that's great writing. <laughs> that is brilliant writing. But, like, but whoever wrote that has no idea what what that would entail. I mean, the, the, the Enterprise must reek. Yeah. Just, well, maybe it doesn't have any space mice. That's why they're there, right? Like, mm, they do, maybe, Disneyland has, like, fucking 30 cats that just walk yeah. around killing all the rats. Yeah. The Disneyland yeah. parks just have maybe. cats that live there. Maybe. And like, that, the Enterprise that must be, like, self-cleaning as well, because you never see a cleaner yeah. anywhere. Is it an organism? Maybe it is. It's like a big stereo head cannon. Yeah, head cannon. Maybe, that's yeah. it. Maybe, it's a big, yeah, it's a big be. Because that's something someone else um, was saying that because it's like m- money isn't a thing. Uh. Why would somebody join Starfleet? Because you you might die. You could very well die. Yeah. Mm. And they're saying it's because that's where the holodecks are. <laughs> Everybody just joins Starfleet just get time on the holodecks because that that's where they keep the holodecks. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, like that's what like that's why I I don't know why I kind of lean towards Red Door very heavily in terms of my my space love mm-hmm. because it's about it's not about the fancy officers it's about mm-hmm. like cleaners who are, end yep. up being the last ones with all of the tricks and bells and whistles of a giant spaceship at their disposal mm. and they're just the worst they cannot handle <laughs> anything it's always sunny in Phil- it's it's like if always sunny in Philadelphia was Battlestar Galactica. Like, yep. it's just bad choice city, you know? 
But like you can't query too hard where anyone would want to go and live on the spaceship mm. if there's no money. Like, yeah. right? You can't. Yeah. Just, mm, you mm. can't. Like, it's so easy to ruin it for ourselves. Yeah, or no. why does Picard's family have a vineyard if there's replicators? Where'd who's, you see, there's, who's buying the wine? How else yeah. would we know they're French? Yeah. But there's food snobbery in the Star Trek universe. You see, yeah. Because when he goes back to meet his brother and he says, oh, this is a good wine, Henri, or whatever the, the brother's yeah. name is. And the brother is like, yeah, you're too used to that replicator muck. Oh. <laughs> you need to use, eat some real food. Oh my God. So there's probably like political pushback against people going live in oh, space. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Living the high life, yeah. you know, like fucking hell. Yeah. And in... in 17 enter- Tomcats. Yeah, something like that. Unneutered. Why? Where did they get there? Who put them there? People bring their pets on board. I love it. They smuggle them on board. or mm, Families. That's also literally most of the plot of Red Dwarf is about cats. And yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, Actually, yeah. A cat called fucking Spot. That is so mm. weird. Yeah. I love that. You see, there you go. It's weirder than you think it is. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's funnier than you think it is as well. Yeah. yeah Especially data. A lot of data subplots are like him like learned. Is it, no, it's Riker plays jazz, isn't it? Riker yeah. plays the trombone. Yeah, which is a thing. Um, that's, a, that's a choice. That's yeah. A, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's funny. Um, like the Forge and Data have a like a buddy comedy kind of relationship. Yeah, Aww. which just kind of developed naturally. It wasn't yeah, anything planned. I think. Aww. Same way with like Abbott and um, Troy and Community. Oh, it was just yeah. these. Oh, these two characters actually jump off each other really well. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I like when that happens. That's yeah. really cool. Mm. And there's in addition to like I mean we we've been talking about the. Um, kind of the planet of emotions and like geopolitics for mm. a while but there's also some really nice problem solvey episodes in it as well like procedurals like, kind of like procedurals but also like just being faced with a conundrum and there's no bad guy necessarily in the mm. episode but you know the cold open is like my god we don't understand this dun, dun. and then the theme tune comes in and they have to spend the episode figuring out what's going on ooh good thinking mm. uh, watching other people think yes oh, yeah. the, probably the best example of that you probably go, you say it so Darmok. they're so cute listeners oh, well, can't Darmok. I was going to say a different one Darmok listeners is, cannot yeah. see this, the two of these guys pointing at each other excitedly across the table this is lovely this okay, is we'll so do, nice we'll do Darmok first and we'll do Darmok, <laughs> Darmok. Well, like there's one episode called Darmok okay. which very nearly didn't get made because mm. the it's produ- a tough sell it's a tough sell and the producer at the time said this is just fucking stupid let's not sell me yeah but they come across this race of aliens the, the, the Federation have contacted these people numerous times before it's always fallen through because they cannot understand what these people are talking about like there's a universal translator okay that can tell you literally what anybody is saying but these <sighs> people yeah. yeah basically but these people talk in such a bizarre way that nobody can figure out what they're saying so like you know they open a communication with them and there's one of the aliens is saying to him, you know, Shaka, his sails unfurled. Temba, his arms wide. And it's just like a series of declarative statements. Weird. And even like they, they talk to each other like that. And they're just saying, look, there's something wrong here. Like we can't figure out what it is. But they actually, in order to force contact with the Federation, the, the captain of that alien vessel kidnaps Picard and beams down onto the planet ah. so that they're isolated together. And there's some kind of a weird monster running around the wilderness that they have to join forces to survive. And while they're down there, Picard actually figures out that they're talking by uh, analogy. Their entire language is analogy. Oh my God. And it's references to earlier stories and examples 
So like your man keeps saying Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. And eventually Picard figures out that this was an incident, like either in myth or history, where two guys arrived at the same island and fought a beast together and became friends by doing it. Oh, oh my God. They just talk in metaphors all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So weird. But you it's lovely. Like that is so stupid. Like I get why it's a hard sell, but also that's worth doing. Like that's mm. a that's a story mm. worth showing. Yeah. Oh, that's so weird. Um, Alan, you 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 had a, a story. Yeah. So about, when I was yeah. um a Star Trek nerd in fifth class. Past tense, Alan. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't really have any friends in primary school. Yeah. I but I was yeah. ended up sitting beside um this guy who was like the best football player and super smart, and we just ended up sitting beside each other. Organically. And one day, the day after that episode had been on Star Trek, he just started tracing on with his finger. He just started going Darmok at Tanagra. I was like, what? And then turned out we both love Star Trek Next Generation. Oh my God, that's so gorgeous. I mean, it's like going to see the film together and stuff <gasps> when it came out. Baby pals. Yeah. That's amazing. And we're still friends now. So, so yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so, cool. That's so, actually gorgeous. Yeah. So like you, you actually have a, like a story. Like, it's like Alan and... And Rob and at the Rob. back of the class. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Rob. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's gorgeous. Mm. What a lovely thing to bond over when you're that young, especially like, geez, I remember talking to fucking nobody in primary school for years yeah. because I was just like, like, I don't really know how to ask any of these fucking people if they play the Legend of Zelda, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's not going to happen. But what a beautiful coincidence for him to have brought that to you. Mm. Mm. He was just Aww. doing it for himself. He was even... but that, but you, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so cool. That yeah. is so lovely. The other thing we were going to talk about, but in terms of amazing... Uh, twist of a procedural is cause and effect mm-hmm. where the Enterprise blows up before the opening credits oh yes and then after opening credits it's back and they're playing poker and then five minutes later the Enterprise blows up again and they're stuck in a loop but they start remembering and these weird coincidences start piling up That's in funny. each loop till they figure it out it's so good it's my favourite episode I think yeah, and it, it all starts off because they start predicting each other's hands Ah. At, the, at the poker table. Oh, that's yeah. great! It's a really good scene. Yeah, that's really good writing. Mm. Yikes! Who knew, guys? Apparently, yeah. everyone except yeah. me. Oh, they they use the uh, poker game as like a, a recurring thing that there's like an officer's poker game where they kind of have like informal, formal chats. So it's a way to get the characters back together, but off the bridge. Yeah, it's a really good little thing. They do that in Battlestar a bit, I think, as well. Yeah. Where they have yep. this like gambling circle. Yeah. yeah, but then there's a season seven episode called The Lower Decks, where you see the lower officers their poker game, where they're bitching about everybody else, <laughs> yeah. and you're seeing what the, all the main characters do from the perspective of just the normal people walking around. Oh, that's great! It's great. They I've really known that they left till season seven to do it because they could they should have had one like one of those every season really. Yeah. Like a it's, so it's, like, it's a great great episode seeing there all those per- decisions that they make and how they affect other people. Because there are more than just the officers yeah, on the ship. Yeah, because often like um, someone will attack them and they'd be like, oh, hull breach on like deck seven. Uh, we've lost 10 people. And you're like, those were 10 actual people, right. you know? <laughs> and you actually, and this one, you actually see those people. You find out more about them and what their aspirations are and how they're embarrassing themselves in front of the, the officers and stuff. It's really, really good. See, what, you, what I keep forgetting is effectively what we're talking about is military ranking here. Mm. Yeah. Know? Even though it's like non-violent. Yeah, that's... But like it's still military ranking and there's still the people we're looking at are still like soft boys telling everyone else what to do you know yeah. I mean yes they are definitely going down the planets to do smooching with the aliens and like look at the rocks but there's a ranking system that's yes. very interesting are any of the series or, or anything of Star Trek uh, like focused on the lower ranks or is it just these little glimmers that we get 
kindness those little yeah. glimmers. Little there's actually a John yeah. Scalzi novel called Red Shirts, which is about four new recruits on a ship. Yeah, which is quite it's quite good. Yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah. nothing canon. No. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And it's interesting that the military thing is really the dominant paradigm throughout the the whole franchise, and really, it's actually like I think the Wrath of Khan, or, or not the Wrath of Khan, the the new one of the new Trek films with Chris Pine that has Khan in it. Oh, it's like Into Darkness. Into Darkness. Thank yeah. you. Um, Into Darkness, I think, is the first time that you ever see a garbage truck in the. Star Trek universe mm. like, like there, there's like a garbage barge flying through future San Francisco yeah. Yeah. and it's like oh right there is actually a civil society going on and there is local government as well and yeah. there's what have you I mean we, we normally only ever see this universe through the perspective of you know the military missions and the mm. colonizers the poor civilians and stuff yeah yeah, yeah it's true mm. it's, weird, it's actually it's weird also at Starfleet their headquarters in San Francisco that they mm. picked that as like the that's capital. extremely funny. Yeah. yeah, because you you actually lived in San Francisco, didn't Three you? Years of my life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me at all. Actually, that kind yeah. of makes a lot of sense in terms of that utopian thing. Yeah, it's wild. So you know, the the Federation moves in and I prices think, everyone else out. There and, you go. Well, I think that might be what I think you might have hit on something that might have been what turned me off it or like kept me at bay from it was the military tone. Oh really? Hmm. Maybe that's why I didn't like Could it. Could be. But now hmm. I kind of can see a bigger picture on it, like you put that aside and you walk into mm. the framework anyway but maybe that was it possibly hmm maybe worth I, I still feel like I've been talked around to it now like fully oh great <laughs> cool uh, do you have any final thoughts though I guess we've pretty much said that we would recommend people watch Star Trek oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah no no. after all this no <laughs> I've changed my it's on Netflix it's, it's on it's Netflix all, it's all yeah. the whole yeah. lot of it yep I mean, the, the only thing that, like, I mean, I, I wish that Netflix would put on the films as well. Yeah, it's weird. Because I, I would love to see First Contact again. It First, was on TV over the summer. It was. Yeah. Some, but it was great. Yeah. It's, it's the best Star Trek film, I think. It yeah. is. Yeah. It's like the Borg go back in time and assimilate Earth. Oh. And you actually meet, they meet the guy who invented Faster Than Light Travel. And he's just like this drunk lunatic. That's James Cromwell. It's James Cromwell. And he's a drunk lunatic on a compound in Montana. Whoa. You know, that are potentially under attack from marauding bands of raiders and mm. stuff, you know. Because it's, 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 we're still in the post-apocalyptic yeah. section. So, yeah. Yeah. And the, like the whole thing is that when he launches his ship, he attracts the attention of a Vulcan vessel that's going through the area and right. they turn around and they make first contact with humanity from an alien race. Because of this one dude. Yeah. yeah. Unreal. And that's what saves us. Mm. But, uh, like, and then like there's this whole bit where um, the Vulcans come down off the ship and they pull back the hoods to reveal the pointy ears oh. and then they do the finger thing, live long and prosper. Oh. And James Cromwell is there trying to do it back and oh. he can't. <laughs> <laughs> sweet but that film also has like a section where they're in the holodeck and it's like gangster times yeah and they're like walking on the ship on mag boots and the Borg are there and Alice Creek is a Borg queen and it's just it has everything it's a mm. great great film yeah so strange mm. but like would you recommend if somebody start watching it to start watching the series or the films first I would say the series I would say the series yeah, yeah. I mean if, you if you're starting from the beginning of, of Next Generation um, I say what's the very first one and then yeah. find a list of some good episodes and work yeah. start maybe start from next season three or four wow yeah. late yeah, yeah because it takes them a little while to find their feet yeah, okay. yeah. They, they, they get 
it it does take like yeah alan just said it, it takes them a while to find their feet but once you get to that point then every episode is kind of self-contained yeah. for a while so you can get a grip on you know which characters do what and you know who's got beef with who and blah 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 and then it leads into the kind of the story arcs and what have you after that Unreal. there we go oh tell us a bit about your book so before we go well thank you very much um a brilliant void uh it's a collection of short fiction by irish sci-fi writers uh from 1837 up to 1960 uh it's i i think it's very good but then i'm I'm biased (laughs) it's fucking gorgeous it's very strange uh, to look at Irish writing that dates back so far and realise that for this amount of time we've been looking outside of the island and further into the weird and the unknown. Mm. It is uh, a really, really important piece of historical, like, it's an it's an important archive, well, but it's you. also super readable and super fun. Like, it's mm. proper, gorgeous um, language and, like, it's very funny at times. It's well, got everything a really good short story collection should have, but it also just happens to be, like, history like our oh. history of how we've dealt with sci-fi i think it's fucking great well, and i can't wait for it to be out well thank you very much yeah, that's my that's my hardcore <laughs> yeah, yeah. endorsement yeah. spoken great <laughs> great we, we should get that on the back cover <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah so it's part of the tram press recovered voices series so like this is like a thing they do where they go back they find something that's been a bit neglected or ignored and then they republish it in a snazzy new volume and i am delighted to be involved in doing that this time around there we go. So, thank you so much, Jack Fennell. Thank you very much for having me, Ellen. And we'll see you all again soon. Bye. Okay. See you, Ellen. See you, Sarah. Bye. Hey, it's Alan and Sarah back. Hello. Uh, thanks again to Jack Fennell. Uh, his book, book that he edited, Brilliant Void, is out now. Sarah, I haven't gotten a copy yet, but Sarah has. It is gorgeous. Yeah. I've had the privilege of talking about it a few times in public at this stage because I'm a, a resource for science fiction, which mm-hmm. I, is something I discovered recently. And I really enjoyed it. It is gorgeous. And uh, I know that the girls at Tramp and Jack put a lot of work into it. Um, it's a great piece. It's really entertaining as well. And I think it manages to cover both bases and be something that's important and also like gas. Like it's got... Irish short fiction from the past. Like there's one short story in it called um, Luna, I think. And it's about a guy who, uh, it's an emigration. It's an Irish, like, turn of the century emigration story. But the guy in it comes back from the moon instead, instead of Australia. And it's like almost exactly what would happen if you move back from Ireland from living abroad. But in this case, it's inter- interstellar. It's yeah. amazing. It's so good. That sounds great. I can't and wait. Years ago, like, it's so wonderful. Yeah. Do you have anything to plug? Uh, what is it? What uh, We're at the end of November. Yeah. Maybe it's too late to ask for you guys to vote for me in the Irish Book Awards. Um, we may already know. <laughs> My fate may have already been sealed. But uh, if it isn't, um, it would be really cool if you had a look at the Irish Book Awards website and gave my book Sparing Fan Parts a little vote um, that's really I never get to ask I never do ask anyone to vote for anything I never get to and I may never do it again so yeah my book is up for an award and I think we're probably in the last days now before uh, we find out what happens I think that's my only big news for now yeah. how about you Al? Um, what have I got Roast Chestnuts is now in Ooh. full swing season 2 season. by now um, we have had some, we've watched some good films we've watched some bad films mm-hmm. but it's fun it's a good way to get into your Christmas mood 
and kind of watch Christmas films by osmosis whilst you're driving. Oh, wow. So that's good. So listen to us on your commute. We've had so far, who have we had? We've had uh, Esther Mordonahu, Ermagati, Ellen oh. Tannum. Combo. You know, Ellen Tannum, her. Yeah, the other yeah. person who runs this podcast yeah. with us. So it's been a lot of fun so far. So go have a listen to that. Um, so we should thank some people. The heads of Podcast Network, for, for instance, having for having us, us. As always. This beautiful room that we and do. Since you're listening to the Heads of Podcast Network, you should also listen to Taranoia by Tara Flynn, mm-hmm. which is her wonderful podcast. If you like Blind Boy, you're probably going to like Tara more, is all I'm saying. She's <laughs> okay. wonderful. Uh, and what else should you listen uh, to? Oh, Phoning It In. Oh, yeah, Phoning It In. Which is just brilliant. It's like a, it's an Irish comedy podcast that's like punching its weight with all the American ones. All right. Because Irish improvisers are very, very talented. And yeah, so go listen to that. There's like 20 episodes so you can get through it in a good old work week where you're doing some data entry or something like that. Uh, Thank you to Dee McDonnell for our artwork. Hey Dee, make me a jumper. (laughs) (laughs) Our logo is stunning. Uh, So thank you so much to Dee for designing for us. Uh, I almost thanked myself for the music because I thanked someone else for the music on Rose Chestnuts but I won't do that. Did you make our music? Yeah, yeah. Hey, Alan, thanks for the music. Okay, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and thanks to Brian for producing this episode. Thanks, Brian. Couldn't do it without you, Brian. I think that's everything. That's us for this time. We'll yeah. catch you in two weeks' time. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye. HPN, the Headstuff Podcast Network. See headstuff.org for more details.